Hey everybody, this is Pastor Cor Chavis. Thank you so much for checking us out today at Truth Chapel's podcast. If this word has blessed your spirit or encouraged you, take a moment and leave us a quick review. Also, check us out at truth-chapel.com or any of our social media outlets, Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. God bless, and I pray you enjoy. If you have a Bible, I would love for you to turn with me very quickly. Just a couple scriptures here. The book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 7, and I'm going to read verses 13 and 14. Isaiah 7, 13 and 14. When you have it, just say, I got it. Amen. One person has it. Brother, Brother Crow is on point. There we go, there we go, there we go. It's, we're catching up. <laughs> if you don't have it, look up there. We got it for you. And he said, hear ye now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will ye weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Uh, tonight, I would love to teach to you just for a little while on Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Can we pray together? Lord, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you for the opportunity to be in your house and to hear your word. We thank you for the opportunity tonight to have a church building. As we know, many of our brothers, brothers and sisters in Kentucky tonight have no church to return to. So, God, we are thankful tonight and grateful for what we have, and we pray for those that have not. We ask you now that the word would sink into our spirits, that it would grow us, it would mature us, it would educate us. And, God, we'll be careful to give you the praise and the glory and the honor. And the church said in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Thank you for standing with us so long tonight. Amen. Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah the prophet, prophesying that the Lord uh, would be weary with men, that the Lord would reach a place of weariness, and therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. And that sign would be that a virgin would conceive and bear a son, and his name would be called Emmanuel. If it seems familiar from the book of Isaiah, it's probably because you read it in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, 20 through 23. I don't know if you, uh, like me, growing up in my family, every Christmas before we open anything, uh, we may eat some biscuits and gravy and some bacon. But before we open any gifts, we go around the room and re we read the Christmas story and we pray together as a family. In the book of Matthew, in chapter 1, as the angel is speaking to Joseph, the Bible says in verse 20, But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people 
from their sins. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God with us. I don't think tonight that I have to relay a foundation of the reason for the season. Christmas is upon us, and I don't think that I need to belabor the point that in this time of year, we reflect on and consider and reconsider the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I said this on Sunday, but I'll say it again here for reflection, that I don't believe that Jesus was born on December the 25th. It doesn't match any Jewish calendar by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, the taxation uh, by King Herod is a historical fact and it was more around the time between August and October, meaning that Jesus was probably born somewhere between that time frame, maybe in September. It matches with the calendar, uh, and if we're talking about births and feasts and Jewish calendars and even Jewish celebrations, it matches that Jesus was probably born in around September of our calendar. However, it is a time of reflection. We look back and we celebrate and we keep Jesus as the center of what we celebrate and believe around Christmas. Christmas has become many things. Over the years and through time, Christmas has become many things. Now, if you want to do the research, you can. It's, it's, it's historical fact that Christmas, the celebration of the winter solstice, has nothing to do with the birth of Jesus. And old Saint Nick was a legit real guy who would give gifts to people in need. All the stories collaborate. But if you want to do the research, you can understand that this gospel that we preach today was born out of a Jewish root, but has so many branches. This, this gospel that we preach today, there was a time on this planet where there was not a village, neighborhood, there was not a providence that was not touched by the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you read history, you will see great men historically define Christianity as the element that changed the world turned cities upside down. You have cities and, and you have cultures of people that literally one day were heathens. They, they knew nothing about Jesus in any form of the imagination. They had never read a Bible because it didn't exist. They, they had never Googled Jesus Christ. They had no clue. They were worshiping everything that blinged. They had all kinds of uh, celebrations, all kinds of salutations. They had all sorts of traditions that they lived with. And then one day, someone preached to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were baptized in Jesus' name. 
they were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. And their lives changed. Everything changed about them. But they were still heathens, living a heathen life and living a heathen lifestyle. And so what they did was they started to shift every tradition they had into some kind of way to honor the Lord. Because Paul told them, Paul told them, in everything you do, honor Jesus with it. And Paul even had conversations with other Jews and said, listen, don't condemn people for a day that they keep in holy reverence if they are keeping that day in reverence to Jesus. So all of these heathens that got saved started adding Jesus into everything they did. Jesus became the reason for the season. All throughout time, you can check all the data you want to check. It's out there. Historical facts outside of the word of God. And you can see where Christmas was not necessarily celebrated originally as a Christian holiday. It was not. It was more of a celebration of a time of change. It was a celebration of a, of a seasonal shift. And people got together and celebrated in all kinds of ways. They reveled in the streets. They drank till they passed out. They uh, bought presents for each other. They gave gifts. They painted their houses. They did all kinds of things. And they did this for many different celebrations and traditions and cultural context. But when Jesus entered the scene in their lives, things began to change for them. And they changed reasons and they changed different definitions. When we talk about Christmas and we talk about the holidays, the holy days, and, and we talk about getting together with family and eating a special feast and, and giving each other gifts and all of the traditions that we do, to say that there's not a heathen concept in any of those things would just be falsehood. There is. But there's a heathen concept in putting on a tie. That ain't Christian. It's adornment. We made it Christian. It was quiet in the house. Um, there's, there's a heathen concept of just about everything we do. If, you, if, we, if we want to take Old Testament and compare it to this day, if there's any man in this building who has shaved the corners of your beard, you're in trouble. Or if you're sitting in here tonight and you have a shirt on, that's, you have a T-shirt on that's cotton and a top shirt that's polyester, you're in trouble. I got scripture to prove it. Everything we do has some kind of heathenistic concept. It, it, it's, a, it's a clash of cultures because we, we serve, we are serving a Jewish religion. Yeah. When Jesus came to this earth, this thing was a 100% Jewish concept, the Hebrews were his people, this was his uh, birth, all of this was centered around Hebrews and Jews, but when the veil was torn, this thing shifted to a Gentile religion, that it was for us, and so yes, there's 
cultural aspects of all, everything we do in life. There's a cultural aspect that, that has shifted and changed and all of these kind of things. Absolutely. Saturday is the Sabbath. There's, there's no way around that. We can, you can sit and argue with me all you want to, but historical fact is historical fact. Yes, the Sabbath day is Saturday. Absolutely. Stop fighting that. It is. But we celebrate on the Lord's day, which is Sunday. We're not trying to say that the Sabbath is Sunday. If you think the Sunday is a Sabbath, you're crazy. Because Sabbath means rest. And I don't rest on Sundays. I work. Okay? It is the Lord's day, and it is the first day that they had the first church service in the New Testament. The first church service at the birth of the church was on the Lord's day, and so we have church on the Lord's day, which is Sunday. It's the beginning of a new week. It's, it's, it's the first day. We give the first fruits to the Lord. The Lord's Day. That's why they call it the Lord's Day because it's the first day of the week. And we're giving the Lord the first fruits of our worship, the first fruits of our praise. Things shift. Things change. Cultures add in. Paul talks a lot about this in Romans and, 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 and Philippians. If you go back and read those books, you'll see that, Rome, that, that, that Paul is trying to help the, the Jewish people connect with the the Gentile people and the Gentile people connect with the Jewish people and he's trying to tie these two things together and he's saying, hey, Gentile people, y'all got to be careful. Be careful that you don't eat meat that's been offered to idols because you've been doing that your whole life and it was never a thing, but now it's a thing. And he's telling the Jews, Jews, listen, y'all got to calm down. Everybody doesn't have to be circumcised like y'all did back in Moses' day, because now that's not efficacious for salvation. You, you, you have to be circumcised in your heart, in your spirit, through repentance and baptism, right? So he's trying to bring all these cultures together that are mingling and co-mingling. You got Jewish people trying to sit down in the same service with Gentiles who six months ago, a year ago, they would never even be in the same vicinity as. When, when Peter goes to Cornelius' house to preach to him, he literally brings an entourage with him to watch his back. Because he's like, I just don't know about these Gentile people. These are Italians. They, they bury people with fishes. Because the Bible says Cornelius was from the Italian band. We all know what that is. Exactly. And so when, when Peter goes to his house to preach to him, God told him to go. He brings, like, People with him, he's like, y'all check me out. Like, I don't know what they're going to do to me. They may boil me and eat me. He, he doesn't know. He's terrified. He doesn't even want to go. But God is co-mingling these cultures together. Our cultures are co-mingled. We, we are living in a Western society trying to look back at an Eastern religion and making sense of it at the, whole at the same time. Jesus was not American. His people were not American. They still are not American people. It's a different culture. It's a different concept. And sometimes we get so caught up in what we do, how we do, and, and who we are and the way we think that we forget that this didn't start here. And so you have all these different variables and all these different uh, avenues of approach 
you know, and, and all the different, like e even different churches, and, and some of you know this because you've been to several churches before, even churches do things differently from one town to the next, or even the church down the road is doing things differently than we are, and they believe that this is so, so, so important, and we're like, eh, neither here nor there. And then we're like, this is so, so important, and they're like, eh, neither here nor there. There's all kinds of cultural differences. However, there are some things that never change. Amen. There, 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 there are some concepts about Christmas that, that no matter how much the culture wants to shift it, it's always going to be that way. Truth is truth no matter who believes it or who doesn't believe it. It doesn't change for me and it doesn't change for you. Truth does not shift with the culture. Paul tries to explain this concept in Romans as he's saying it doesn't make it not true. It, it, just because there's a shift between the Gentiles and the Jews doesn't make it not true. And there are concepts in this word that don't change because Congress decided something different. Amen. There are concepts in this word doesn't change because I'm a patriot and I love my country. There, there's concepts in this word that doesn't change because the Supreme Court had a vote. Amen? There, there's concepts in this Bible that, that will not ever shift with culture. That it, it'll never be okay to do these things. And, and it'll never be wrong to do these things. One of those concepts that has been changed throughout time that cannot be changed is that when Christ was born on this planet he was God manifest in the flesh God himself came down and was born of a virgin Emmanuel is God with us Emmanuel is not God's son with us. Now follow me here for a little bit. I don't want to lose nobody. Emmanuel is God with us. Jesus was God with us. He was all man and he was all God. The man, somebody say the man. The flesh. The, the one who ate. Because God don't eat. The one who slept. God don't sleep nor slumbers. Uh, the, the one who bled and died, God don't bleed, and you can't kill him. The man, that man was the lamb slain from the foundations of the earth. But the spirit that was in that man was the spirit of God. He said this many times, in different ways, but the most contextual way is they said, Lord, you keep talking to the Father. Show us the Father. Let, obviously, you know, Jesus would have these moments when he would look up to heaven and be like, Father, help these fools. Well, they said, Lord, show us the Father. Like, let us see what you're seeing. Show us the Father. And Jesus says to them, wait a minute. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. How sayest thou then, show us the Father? 
I and my Father are one. We are one. Now, I believe, I believe, and I know it's a Wednesday night, and I'm supposed to be talking about Christmas, and I am. Okay? I have never really met, not me personally, now I've, I've seen online or whatever, but I've never really met a true Trinitarian that believes in three gods. Ever. I've had many conversations with good friends of mine. I'm like, bro, you're not a Trinitarian. Like, yes, I am. I believe this. I'm like, no, bro, you believe in one God. Yeah, well, that, that makes you not Trinitarian. Because if you look at the Trinitarian belief, they believe in three separate persons, co-existent, co-eternal. Right? But most Trinitarians that I would talk to or speak to would say, no, there's only one God. Yes. That makes you not Trinitarian. If you want to do the research, do the research. But the official stance on Trinity is that it is a mystery. This is the official, st this is the official stance. Is that it is a mystery and cannot be understood. They, they get this, and, and it's quoted. You can, you can read it. Go Google it tonight. Uh, it's, it's, it's coming from 1 Timothy 3 and 16. That says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. All right, now, I know that Paul is writing to Timothy, and I know that Paul is saying that there is a mystery here. However, when he says great mystery, that word great doesn't mean like, an enigma trapped inside of a, a riddle that can't be figured out. What he's saying is, it's a wonderful. That word great means wonderful. Go look it up. He says, without controversy, wonderful is the mystery. Not like complex, not like we can't figure it out. He's saying, wonderful is the mystery of godliness. Watch what he says. He explains the mystery in the next sentence. God, somebody say God. God with us. God was manifest in the flesh. That was God in the flesh. It wasn't God Jr. That was God walking among us. God was manifest in the, in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. That was all God. God, that was all God. It wasn't a separate being that God allowed to be manifest in the flesh. That's, uh, as, as, as a, a great teacher that I love to listen to, Brother Harold Hoffman would say, that's cosmic child abuse. It wasn't someone different. Who God said, now, look, I'm not going to go, but you're going to go. I'm going to send you. It doesn't say God's son was manifest in the flesh. It doesn't say God's second, the second person of the Trinity was manifest in the flesh. It says God was great, wonderful is the mystery. Wonderful is this thing that we are struggling to wrap our minds around. That when Mary had that baby in the manger, it was God. God manifests in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. 
when, when the heavens opened and the voice of God said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. What, 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 what was that moment? What was it? Who, who was that speaking to, to Jesus? It was the spirit of God speaking about the flesh of Jesus because God, the God in him never needed to be baptized, but the flesh of him needed to be purified just like me and you need to be baptized. That's why I, I struggle with people who say, well, I, you know, you don't, you don't have to be baptized. You, you know, if you want to do it, you can do it, but it's not mandatory. Well, don't read Mark 16 because God said, Jesus told his disciples, he said, those that are baptized shall be saved and those that are not shall be damned. So don't read Mark 16 because that's going to throw you for a huge loop. And I don't want to say, tell God I don't have to do something that he did himself. Because when John the Baptist said, no, I have... I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. Jesus said, no, it behooves us to fulfill all righteousness. He said, this is a good idea. I should get baptized. He was justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on the world, and received up into glory. Jesus is the reason for the season. And Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. And I know that I'm, I know that I'm in, a, in a oneness church preaching to mostly oneness people. But I also believe that there is a confidence and a spiritual awakening in us around this time of year when, when we can really visualize and understand that when Jesus was born, it was God coming to us. God with us. The same God who said, let us make man. It is the same God who was born in that, that stable that night. The, the, the same God who hung the moon and the stars on just the pronunciation of his voice, that God was born for you. That, that God took on an earthly vessel. That, that God became me. He left his throne in glory, stepped down in the annuals of time, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? That he might redeem them that were under the law. Somebody shout redemption. Somebody shout blood. That song that we sang tonight, that song's about redemption. Because the blood of Jesus is the blood of God. Because God is a spirit. And spirits don't have blood. But there is no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. And not the blood of bulls and not the blood of oxen and not the blood of turtle doves. But it was the blood of God himself. One man entered into the throne room once for all. Not, not year after year after year after year. Hebrews tells us not continually. He doesn't do it continually. One time he came in. His blood was the blood of God. Emmanuel, God with us. The disciples uh, watched this happen. The, the, I, I see the confusion with the disciples 
because he's in the hinder part of the, of the ship and he is snoring. And they're like, man, this dude's just like me and you. He's asleep. He's drooling right now. But in the next moment, he's standing on the front of that same ship and he's speaking to the storm. And they're like, hold up. He ain't like us. I can't do that. They said, what manner of man is this? That his voice can calm the sea. What, what kind of man can do that? What kind of man can do those things? He, he sees Mary and Martha and he begins to cry. Oh, he said, oh, look, man, Jesus is just like us. He crying over his friend who died. Man, that's, he just like us, man. He just a crybaby like me and you. He just, he, he not special. He's just a man because he cried over his friend. Now, you can try to dive deep into all of that. With, why, why did Jesus, we, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. It's the, like the old joke with the two kids who had to learn uh, Bible verse. The mom said, listen, if you don't learn a Bible verse, I'm, I'm spanking you both. And so the next morning, the one kid came down, and he said, she said, tell me your Bible verse. He said, Jesus wept. And she said, okay, what's your Bible verse? He said, he sure did. And you can deep dive into why Jesus cried. But you know why Jesus cried? Because he was a man and his friend died. That's it. You don't have to go no deep. Take your scuba gear off. There's no, there's no reason to go no deeper than that. He was a man and his buddy died. And, but, but as the man is crying, the God is saying, I got this. Roll the stone away. Roll the, come on, man, he's dead, he stinks, he's been in there four days. Roll the stone away. And when they roll it back, the man who cried opened his mouth. Because the word of God, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was, and the word of God, Lazarus, come forth. And the man that cried was the God that spoke and said, come on out. And here come Lazarus, hopping out of the tomb. Loose him and let him go. What manner of man is this? When I tell you that God came and he bled and he died for you on December the 25th, when you're surrounded by your family and you're opening gifts, you ought to lift your voice to heaven and say, Lord, thank you for coming. You didn't send nobody in your place, but you came yourself. God with us, his name shall be Emmanuel, God with us, and he is still God with us, because the same spirit, the same spirit that rose, that lifted him out of that grave is the same spirit that he wants you to have tonight as well, that that same spirit lives on the inside of you. That that same spirit, oh hallelujah, he, when he left, he left us a comforter. Not a third person, not a third coexistent, co no, his spirit. God didn't say, I'm sending him, and when he lived, when he leaves, I'm sending him. No, no, no. God said, I'm going down. I'm going to wrap myself in flesh, and when I leave, I'm going to leave my spirit to, to comfort and to guide and to lead. One God. Somebody shout one God. We're serving one God. Here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. That is, it's elementary in the Jewish belief system. 
It is original context. It is the Lord is one. God did not tell them that. God did not tell them that he was one. So he could defend himself over two more people in the Godhead. That's not why he gave them that. He gave them that because they had been living in Egypt. And they seen that there was a God on every corner. Every piece of wood got turned into a God. Every piece of gold got turned into a God. There was a God for day. There was a God for night. There was a God for water. There was a God for sand. There was a God for fire. And there was a God for, it was a God for everything. And God wanted them to know. He wasn't trying to defend himself against the triunity. No, he was saying, I'm not all those things. You can't find me in gold. You can't find me in the fire. You can't find me. I am God and I'm all by myself. Make unto you no graven images. There's nothing you can build that can represent me. There's nothing you can carve that can represent me. There's nothing you can make with your hands that would ever represent me. I am God and I am God alone. He said it in Isaiah, I am God and I'm God alone and beside me there is no God. He said even I, I, even I stretch forth the earth with my hand and beside me there is no God. No one beside me. I'm all alone here. We, we're not serving a republic or a, dem, a democratic God. No, no, no. He, he is an anarchist. He is a dictator. He is all by himself. He don't need nobody's vote. He cares about your feelings and, and, and he cares about your emotions, but you're never going to change him. You, you, we ain't ever going to get together and, and have a bunch of people sign a petition to change his mind. The only thing that's ever changed God's mind was a man who said, Lord, if I can find 50, will you save this city? He said he'd find them. He couldn't find them. He said, Lord, if I find 25, would you save the city? He said, I couldn't. Lord, if I find 10, would you save the city? And God changed his mind every time over a praying man who wanted to save somebody. The only time God's ever going to change his mind is when you pray to save somebody else and say, Lord, don't take them. Lord, don't let your judgment fall on them. Lord, I know you want it to, Lord, but save them. Save them from their sin. Save my daughter. Save my, my son. Save my loved one. Save my grandmother. Save my mother. Save my father. God, save them. God said, I'll respond to the voice of a saint who will pray for salvation. But you're not going to get me to change one iota of those Ten Commandments. You're never going to change any of these things. No matter how many cultural avenues that we take, no matter how many changes we have about celebration and tradition and culture, God's still going to be one. He's going to be all by himself. There was a time when as pastors and as leaders of churches and as Men and women of the gospel and, the, and, and of the word, we preach these concepts to combat against the spirit that was in the world that was born out of the council of Nicaea. You can study that if you want to. The spirit was born out of the council of Nicaea. There is no historical, there is no historical fact. There is no historical way to prove that anybody ever was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost before the Council of Nicaea. And there's a ton of history on it. Only afterwards, there was a shift. 
Before that, all were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Five baptisms in your Bible, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. All five of them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, were the disciples disobeying God? Because in Matthew, he told them, go ye to all the world, baptizing him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. They were not disobeying Jesus. They were not doing it another way. They just knew what the name was. He didn't say in the name of the Father and the name of the Son and the name. He said the name of the Father, the Son. There's one name. They knew the name. The name of the Father, Jesus. The name of the Son, Jesus. The name of the Holy Ghost, Jesus. There's only one name. For he hath given him a name. That in that name, <laughs> that there's salvation in no other. For there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. There's no common name that could be given to a human whereby we must be saved except the name of Jesus. They just knew the name. They were, they were following directly. They knew what the name was. And, and that spirit that's in the world today uh, that would confuse and, and, and manipulate, take scriptures and, and, and change them, take scriptures and confuse people with them. And when you understand the oneness of God and you understand that, that Jesus was flesh and spirit, just, just like you are in a lot of ways, that, that, that you're not just made up of one thing. I'm, I'm made up of many things. And, but when you understand that, the Bible comes alive to you and you understand things. That, that when the Bible is talking about the Son of God, you understand that that's the flesh of God. And, and, and when the Son is talking to the Spirit, you know that that's the flesh talking to the Spirit. Like you understand it, you get it, because that's how it's written and that's how it was perceived in its time. That, that Paul was not confused when he wrote scriptures like that. He, he, he was contextualizing what he knew to be fact. Paul didn't even know that it would ever be a problem. Let me say that again. Paul wasn't writing to convince. He was writing to educate. There are no apologetics in your Bible. Say that one more time. Do you know what apologetics are? Apologetics are defense of a, of a theory. Like, so if I'm an apologetic, and sometimes I do preach in, in, in the apologetic fashion. As I'm convincing someone of a, of, a, of a theory or a biblical truth, that's apologetic. So I'm involved in apologetics because I'm trying to convince and teach. There's no apologetics in your Bible. Paul was not writing to people he was trying to convince. Paul was writing to Christians who were already convinced. He wrote to the church at Philippi. He didn't write to the sinners at Philippi. That makes sense to everybody? He, he was writing to the church in Rome. He wasn't writing to Romans. He was writing to Christians who lived in Rome. He was writing to Timothy who was a Christian. He was encouraging Timothy. He wasn't trying to pull apologetics on Timothy because Timothy believed everything he believed. He was just shoring him up. He, he said that. He said, I come to sure you, to establish you. I want to I make your, your, your roots deep so that you can stand on this because there are those 
who want to come in and change the gospel. And he told us why they would change it, for greed. They wouldn't change it because they wanted to twist it. They wanted to change it so they'd have something to sell. Ooh, I felt the Holy Ghost. It, it wasn't that they were trying to convince people of a, of, of a wrong way. It's that the way that Jesus presented the gospel, there's no way to make money off of it. So it had to be twisted for the greed of mankind to say, well, we twist it this way. We can change this to that. We can change this to that. And we can have people crawling up steps covered with glass, paying us $5 a piece to get their loved ones out of purgatory. Catholic Church. We, we turn the gospel to shift it so that it, it can become a business. And the root of all evil is the love of money. There's confusion in the world today because there's the human greed to shift the gospel so that we can make money off of it. But if you preach the gospel the way that Jesus preached the gospel, the way that Jesus wanted his gospel preached, the way that the, the disciples preached the gospel, then, then you can't make it a business. Mm. I'm reminded of a, of a book that sold millions of copies. Um, it was written by a gentleman by the name of Benny Hinn. I'm not here to run down Benny Hinn. For any Benny Hinn lovers in the house, God bless you. I'm not running him down in any way. I'm just telling you that when, when he wrote the book, Good Morning Holy Spirit, he was on something. Be because that book, it, 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 now you may not have never heard of it, and if you've never read it, don't read it. It's, it's, it's garbage. And if Benny Hinn was standing here right now, I would just tell him that. Say, man, look, you got no scripture to back this up. And here's the premise of the book. The premise of the book is this, is that God is jealous, and we need to spend time with the Father and equal time with the Son and equal time with the Holy Spirit because there's jealousy between the three of them. That's literally, that's the book. it sold millions of copies. Now, now the, the, only, the only reason that that book sold is because it's, it's greed. You have to shift it. You have to change the gospel. That's why, when, that's why the, the apostle said, if any man come changing the gospel, let him be accursed. That, that he was trying to change it and shift it. Let him be accursed. And, and let everything he say be cursed as well. Because God knew. God knew that there would be confusion in the world. One of my favorite stories is I was visiting, um, preaching, and, and, and teaching, and, and doing some missionary work in Shiprock, uh, New Mexico, with on the Navajo reservation there. And I was there for several weeks, and I was uh, working with the Navajo people and uh, connected with many of them. And um, they, they, you know, recognized, you know, my nativeness. And of course, um, I wasn't raised on a reservation necessarily. Nothing like that. Um, abject poverty. You know, it just just a really rough area. Beautiful people, beautiful spirits. And uh, I began to speak with some of them, and we had great revival. We had great revival. And the first couple nights of, of the tent revival, it was really tight. You have a, a group of people that their whole lives um, have hidden their emotions. It's just kind of like their culture. And so no one is emotional in any way, form, or fashion. It's just like when it's too much, they become emotional. Uh, but just a normal type, 
you know, just, just not really emotional. They're very spiritual, very spiritual people, not really emotional. So the first couple of nights was just very, very dry, and I was trying, and small group of people in a tent. We had some crazy things happen. Um, we had drunks come in, talking to people during the service. Uh, one night, a black dog came down the middle aisle, stood, and just stared at me. And uh, <clears throat> I'm not like a spooky person, so I, I, I made like a joke about it. I'm like, dog, dog, dog needs the Holy Ghost too, you know. And then I looked over at the, the pastor who pastors there. Uh, his name is Melvin Yazi, and he, he's a, a Navajo, uh, speaks the, the, the Navajo language fluently. Uh, he looked at me and just said, that's the devil. And I said, well, I rebuke him in the name of Jesus. And the dog just turned and walked out of the tent. I said, all right, I'm going back to preaching now. And everybody in the tent was like, what just happened? Some really crazy things happened. But the third night, I said, you know what? I'm, I'm trying all these ways. You know, I'm trying all this stuff. You know, I felt like Paul, like, I, I didn't come here with words of men's wisdom. I, I come here to, like, in, in the demonstration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I just, I just preached a message, and I entitled it, The Great Spirit. And I, and I talked about that great spirit. I, I, I realized at the beginning of the message, there was already a different level of attention when I talked about the great spirit. And because if you know anything about natives, that's going to strike a chord with the great spirit. And so automatically there was a, a different level of attention. And I preach a lot about what I'm preaching tonight, just, just the oneness of God and that that great spirit became a man, God with the great spirit with us. You know, and like this great spirit came and was like born for you. He died for you. And now he wants you to be his sons and daughters. He wants to adopt you. And I talked about the spirit of adoption because the Bible tells us, I quoted earlier, you know, God made of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of sons because blood is redemption. But spirit is adoption, and you need them both, right? He, he came to redeem us that we might be adopted. Redemption is different than adoption. So I began to preach it like, like he, this great spirit came. The great spirit came. He shed his blood. He died. He was wounded. He was beaten for you. And now he, because he shed his blood for you, he redeemed you, and now the great spirit wants to adopt you as his son and as his daughter. That you would be an heir of God. And man, it was just a break in the spirit. And we had four or five or six get the Holy Ghost. It was just a whole different spirit there. After service, I talked with Brother Yazi and I just said, hey, like, man, I felt like it was just a simple word tonight. But man, like, it was, like, like what, what was special? And he said, well, he said, what you don't know is that this, this whole reservation for hundreds of years have been saturated by Catholicism, and they don't trust preachers. And, and, they, and he said, he said now, now, Brother Yazi, if you ever meet him, and maybe one day I'll have him here at True Chapel, he's an amazing man. And all he has to do is read scripture in the Navajo tongue, and it will make the hair stand up on your head. It is powerful. Matter of fact, when he does that, 
it's, it's like when he goes to my dad's church sometimes, he will literally get up and just read scripture in the Navajo tongue, and it is like nothing you've ever experienced before. It's very powerful because it's, it's old. It's ancient. It's an ancient language he's speaking. It's so ancient. And uh, he said, you know, he said, I was put in a Catholic school as a small child. I was beaten with a rubber hose if I spoke my native language. My name was changed uh, from what I was born with to a more Christian name, Melvin. And so he told me this whole story. He said, he said, but the, he said the Catholic Church failed here. And if you're sitting in this room tonight and you're Catholic or you're watching online and you're Catholic, trust me right now, I'm not trying to condemn you or come against your religion in any way, form, or fashion. I'm not. You, you have the right to do what you do and live how you live. But I will tell you that you need to hear what I'm about to say. But the Yazi told me, he said, that the, the Catholics failed miserably here. He said, the reason is natives believe in one God. He said that. So, so when they came and they started talking about three, they, they lost the battle in the first conversation. Because the Navajos, like, you know, we believe in, in, you know, that there's power in water, and we believe there's power in fire. And he said, he said, we're very naturalistic people. He says, so anything natural has a cosmic or like a spiritual connotation. Of us. He said, but we all believe in one great spirit. He said, so tonight when you said one great spirit, that's why everybody in the room listened up. Because for them, from their grandma's grandma's grandma to them, they've heard about that one great spirit. They have, they've spiritualized everything, rocks, turquoise. And I know my brother Mike Behill is sitting here, and, and he's, he's from a, a very strong native background. He knows what I'm saying that is true. Like, we, they spiritualize everything. There's a lot of spiritualization and a lot of emotion in that. But they all believe in one great spirit. And so when I began to preach about that one great spirit that came and shed his, was born of a virgin, shed his blood, lived and died, it connected with them in a way that no other religion could. The Christmas story tonight, the Christmas story tonight is not that some kind of cosmic battle happened and God sent some other person in his place. The, the, the beauty of Christmas is that God himself wrapped himself in flesh. And it was God with us. It wasn't someone else with us. It was God with us. It wasn't a heavenly representation with us. It was God with us. That Mary's baby was God. Mary, did you know that when you kiss your little baby, you've kissed the face of God? That, that God that Mary kissed in that manger was the God she wept over hanging on that cross. Uh, it was it, 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 God manifest in the flesh God with us. Great, wonderful, wonderful is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. That he was justified in the spirit. This Christmas season, I want to just 
if, if it's okay, just stick in a quick reminder for you on a Wednesday night that when we celebrate, we're celebrating a God who was born to die. A God who came knowing that chastisement would be upon him. A God who came understanding that by his stripes I would be healed. A God who came. He could have died in that manger and still God would have died for us. But he lived and he walked and he kept himself pure and, and, and he lived among us. And the Bible says he was tried in every way like us. He was touched with our, we don't serve a high priest that has not been touched with our infirmities. But our high priest knows everything we've been through because he's been through it. He has been touched with the feeling of our infirmity. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Not another person, not a third person in the Godhead, but God Almighty. Not an idol, not a golden statue, not a carving, but a God who left his mighty throne in glory to come down and bring to us redemption and adoption. Not only to redeem us, not only to pay the price for us, but to add us into him who he said, I am the root and ye are the vine. You're the branches. I am the root and you are the branches. That I'm grafted in, I'm adopted. The greatest gift that God has given us is that the same spirit that was in that baby is in me. And it's in you. And it's in whosoever will. Call upon the name of the Lord. Jesus. 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 Emmanuel. God with us. Would you stand with me all over the room? Would you lift your voice and would you praise him? I pray this word was an encouragement to you today. Thank you again for tuning in to Truth Chapel's podcast. If you have not yet, Please take a moment and leave us a quick review. God bless and have a great rest of your day.